When you call someone a mama's boy, it can be taken as an insult, especially if the person is a macho kind of guy. But when Cheryl Jackson refers to her son Walter as a mama's boy, it's delivered with love and longing. He was always up under me all the time. You know, like I had other three kids, but Walter would be right there with his mama, right there on my coattail, you know. And other three kids like, you need to let Walter go, let Walter cut the umbilical cord, you know. But he was, he was my first bone, you know. He's my first bone. It was March 1st, 1980, when she gave birth to Walter. Oh, that was the happiest day in my life. A fine baby boy, and Walter was like a special kid to me. And he grew up to be a mama's boy. You know, everything was mama, 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 you know. And it was nothing too good for his mother, you know. Even though he was married, he still was a mama's boy. And he used to come. Did he admit that he was a mama's oh, boy? He admitted, yes. <laughs> and everybody, his sisters and brothers know he was a mama's boy, you know. And he used to come on the weekends every day, my wash my clothes for work. And I used to joke with him, I'm not your wife, you know. And every day he would call me at 5 o'clock. Mom, what you doing? I said, I'm not doing nothing. Mind you cook? And I might say, yeah, no later than 5.30, he walking through my door. And that was every day. By most standards, Cheryl was pretty young when she became a mother. I visited Cheryl at her home in Marrero, on the west bank of the Mississippi River. By 9.30 on that morning, it was already hot. As we sat at the table in her living room, the ceiling fan was spinning as she described her life with her son. Walter was your first son. What was it like being a first-time mom? Oh, it was, that was new for you, right? It, yes, it was exciting. And thank God for my grandmother and my mother to help me, you know. Why? Because I'm young, you know. I don't know nothing about raising no baby and stuff like that. I was young myself. I was like 19 years old, you know. Okay, that is young. And thank God for my mother. And then my mother and my grandmother helped me. And then I was scared to change his diaper, you know. And so it was either my mother or my grandmother changing his diaper. And I thank To be God. fair, a lot of people are afraid of changing diapers. Thank I mean, God when for you're that. You're dealing with poop. But then after that, I, you know, I just would love taking him out, strolling him in a stroller down the street, you know. And people just fell in love with Walter as soon as they seen him. It's like he was like a magnet. He just draws people to him. Walter is like me, a people person, you know. What did you learn about yourself throughout the process? Because being a new mother, 19, you're learning about yourself, learning to be a mom. Like, what were the lessons that, that Well, my lesson was that I knew I could be a good mother. You know, I see how my mother raised us, you know, and I look and I take things from my mother, what she did. She set a good as, example as, for you. Oh, yes, as we was coming up, you know, and my children used to call me old-fashioned because I was raised the old-fashioned way, and that's how I used to raise them, the old-fashioned way. You're going to cook, you're going to clean, you're going to get up, you're going to make your bed, you're going to clean your room. You know, I had them at the age of five years old at the zinc washing dishes, you know. So that's how I grew up. As Walter grew up, he really latched onto one specific song. And Walter used to always walk around singing this song. I'm going to the upper room. Every day he would sing that song. I don't know that song. What, who, it's you know it's, who it's a it? gospel song, Mahalia Jackson, Upper Room. And Walter would sing that song every day. And I said, son, I said, you love that song. I said, you know, I said, you're going to go to the upper room one day, but just don't rush it, you know? I'm Tan Trung, and this is The Tan Report. The podcast this week is going to have a maternal theme since Mother's Day is coming up. 
across the country, if they're fortunate to still have a mom in their life, people are planning to treat their mother like a queen that day. There will be flowers. There will be gifts. Families will take their mom out to eat. In fact, Mother's Day, according to the National Restaurant Association, is the busiest day for the industry. And that seems logical. Mom shouldn't be in the kitchen on the day dedicated to moms, right? But outside of the celebration and commercialism that often comes with the holiday are people who may struggle when it comes around. They may be far away from their mom, or maybe she's died. For Cheryl Jackson, holidays in general have been tough for several years now. But Mother's Day in particular is especially difficult. I try to keep myself busy because I know on Mother's Day, water will be here in the morning. Mama, what you cooking? Mama, when the food ready? Mama, fix me some food, you know? So to be honest with you, I don't do too much on the holidays no more. I don't cook on the holidays no more, you know? I'll call around and find out who cooked. But bring me a plate of food, you know, I'm coming to get a plate of... I just can't do it, I don't know. I just can't do the holidays no more. While most families wouldn't even think about having their mom cook on Mother's Day, Cheryl would give anything to cook for Walter. The last time she was able to do that was back in 2015. And so that Saturday, he came over, and he was working on his car. And he said, Mom, do you have a fuse? I said, a fuse for what? He said, I said, oh, you're a mechanic now, you know? And that morning, I was cooking okra gumbo, and I haven't cooked okra gumbo since my child got murdered. Walter Jackson was shot to death on January 4th, 2015. It was around 10 p.m. when police got to the scene in the 2800 block at Palmyra Street in the Mid-City neighborhood of New Orleans. Walter was found inside the black Toyota he was driving. Before Cheryl got the call telling her that Walter had been shot, Cheryl says she heard his voice. And that, that particular night... I had a feeling. I had a feeling. He gave me a sign because I had just got fittings out the bathtub and I got a cold chill. And so all of a sudden I heard somebody's voice say, Ma. And I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. And I heard his voice again, Ma. And I'm like, How walked to get in my house? And my door is locked. And the second time I heard his voice, a bright all flashing in front of me. And when that bright all flash in front of me, I said, oh, that's either my grandmother or my mother. The phone rung. And on the other end, the girl said, Cheryl Walter been shot. And the first thing I told her, I said, my child dead. She said, no, no, I don't know. I said, I'm telling you, he dead. She said, I don't know. I said, he dead. I heard his voice. He hollered for me. Ma, ma, I couldn't save him. I couldn't protect him. There was nothing I could do. And for them to take his life the way they did. He didn't deserve that. Walter, I'm not saying it because he's my son. Walter was not a bad child at all. Walter was a hard-working young man. Walter was a husband and a father and a brother and my child. And the way they took his life, he did not deserve that at all. You don't shoot an animal that many times. How many times they shot my child? He didn't deserve that. Walter would give you the shirt off of his back. Walter was the eldest among Cheryl's four children. Was there a time in his childhood that really stuck out in your in your memory? Was there something that he did or was there something in school? Yeah, when he was on the basketball, I was very proud of him playing basketball, you know, making it to be the captain of the basketball team, the quarterback of the football team, Mr. Landry, you know. He was I was very proud of my son. 
Walter graduated from L.B. Landry High School in 1999. Not long after, he got married. He got married in 02. Matter of fact, he got married in 02. Oh, he didn't waste any time after high school, huh? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. How was the wedding? Oh, the wedding was beautiful. It was beautiful, yes. It was beautiful. What was it like being there, seeing your firstborn, getting married? I was and happy. Your mama's boy getting yes, married. Yes, I, I was very happy for him, you know. I was very happy. And give me my blessing, you know. I was very happy for him. Walter would go on to have two kids of his own. He was 34 years old at the time of his murder. A murder which not only stole Cheryl's son from her, but also took away a family's husband and father. What were the circumstances leading up to and surrounding your son's murder? Well, that particular day, Walter was at a place called Second and D, and he was giving a friend a ride to go pick up her baby. And when they got to the place, to the house where he was bringing her, when she get out the car and went inside, not one person, too. It's like they ambushed my son and shot my baby 15 times, sitting in his car. He didn't have a chance. And I pray to God that the first bullet that hit my son killed him so he wouldn't have to feel the rest of them going in him. I hate to say, you know, but I pray to God the first bullet killed him so he wouldn't have to feel the rest of them. No one else was, was hurt or killed in that, in that shooting? He was the only one killed. No one else was hurt or killed by him. And it waited till she went inside. And when she went in and shut that door, they ambushed my son. Was there anything about a motive? Did the police say the suspects wanted a certain thing? Was your son targeted? Why did this happen? What's their theory? They don't have no motive, no suspect. They don't know why. Nothing. But I know somebody out there knows something, because the streets talk. Did they ever say that he was robbed or anything was taken? No. No, they just shot him. He wasn't robbed or nothing. Because when I went to go get his belongings out the car, his wallet was sitting right there. His gold chain was hanging on the mirror. He wasn't robbed or nothing. That night was horrific for Cheryl. But I knew my child was dead before I got over there to the scene. They didn't even much want me to identify his body. It was Cheryl's daughter who identified the body. And I remember getting on the scene and the detective said, I don't want you to see this as clear as day. He said, I don't want you to see your son. He said, if I wasn't a detective, I wouldn't be looking at him. He was, he was shot up real bad. And my baby girl identified her brother. They didn't want me to see him. But that particular night, I don't know how I got up under that yellow tape. And where the car was parked at, I was at the end of the house, and his car was in the driveway. And I'm just standing up there looking. It's like I couldn't move. I was numb. And I'm looking at him slump over in the car. And I'm quite sure the police must have seen me, but they ain't can't told me nothing. And I'm just standing up there looking and looking. And when they shine that light in that car, mm, 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 I lost it. I lost it. At the funeral, that song Walter would always sing as a boy, in the upper room, was on Cheryl's mind, 
And so were the people who killed her son. They thought he was going to have a closed casket, but he didn't. He didn't. My baby had a glow on his face. My baby had a smile on his face. And whoever did this thought he was going to have a closed casket. No, baby, because there's a God. And he knew what type of person my son was. And I looked down in that casket. I said, son, you're going to the upper room. He was always singing that, He always sing that song. I'm going to the upper room. I said, son, you not made it to the upper room. You got your wings, baby. I can't speak for everybody, but I think I get a feeling sometimes, especially in New Orleans, that when we see and hear about all these shootings and these murders, we tend to think that whoever was shot, the victim, did something to deserve it, or they got into trouble, they ran with the wrong people, they were in the wrong circles. And did you have that feeling put upon you that somehow your son was doing something wrong? Or Oh, no. No. Because I know my son. No, my son wasn't no gangbanger. My son wasn't out here dealing drugs. My son wasn't doing no drive-by. I know my son. You know, so I'm not going to say that, oh, maybe he did something. No, because I knew my son. And if Walter was in any kind of trouble or anybody was after him or anything, he, he would come talk to me. Oh, mama, I had a fight with such, such a person. He would come talk to me. He would let me know what's going on. That's what most people think when a young black man get murdered on the street. Some of them might think, oh, what he did or what was he involved in? Everybody's not a bad person, you know. Sometimes you just be at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know. It could be mistaken identity, you know. It could be jealousy. You don't have to do nobody nothing for them to do you something. I guess that's the cruelty of the way things run in the in the city sometimes. Is that They'll kill you over $2, so you really don't have to do nobody anything for them to do you something. And it's just sad that we use losing our young men to the street, you know, and they're shooting our kids down like animals, like they, like they hunting animals, you know, and something needs to be done about it, you know. There's so much crime going on. It's like the new normal. It's just normal, you know, and it's sad. The first couple of years after Walter's murder, Cheryl was looking for anything that resembled justice for her son. The NOPD couldn't offer anything in the form of leads or a suspect in the case. I used to get frustrated with the detectives when I called and they didn't get no answer. I used to go over there and sit right there till I get to the detectives. Many days I went over there and just sit down in the office, sit down outside and waited for him, you know. And I realized, you know, that my son's case is not the only case that he have. These detectives have their hands full. So I cannot get mad anymore, you know, because I know one day sooner or later, my turn going to come for my justice, you know. And if the community will stand up and help, it won't be so hard on the detectives to try to solve this crime, you know. Because they can have at least a pathway to information. Exactly. Somewhere to look. Exactly. But it's up to, to the community to help. I think you bring up an interesting point because I... With all the debate with city council people, there's a governor's race and they're going to talk about crime and how do we solve the crime, not just in New Orleans, but in Louisiana. 
But it sounds like from what you're saying, sometimes it could be just as simple as people opening their mouths and talking and saying, look, this is where you need to go to find answers. And that's the one resource we don't have. Exactly. Everybody know everybody's business in New Orleans. If you ask them where the crack house at, they could tell you where the crack house at. But if you ask them where the murder happened at, oh, did they see anything? Nobody knows nothing. You know, I don't understand people are afraid to talk, you know, because, you know, sometimes they feel like that people might come after them or whatever, you know. But guess what? You got to take a stand. Because if you don't take a stand, you'll fall for anything. As any parent could imagine, it was a dark time for Cheryl after Walter's murder. Sometimes it gets very dark. It gets very dark. At one time when it first happened, I was to the point where I was about to lose my mind. I was like in and out of the hospital. I, I was lost. I'm not going to lie. One time I did. I wanted to commit suicide one time. And just how painful it is, you know, and to the, think about my child not here no more. That's a pain that's worse than labor pain. Can I ask you what pulled you back from, from that ledge? What pulled me back when I had to look at my other three kids, they need me also, you know, and they don't want me sitting around here, you know, drowning in sorrow, going down, you know, thinking about committing suicide. And I say, well, I'm going to start an organization called A Mother's Cry. Because three years after uh, Walter got murdered, I did it by myself. A Mother's Cry is a support network for local mothers who have lost a child to violence. Last year, there were 280 homicides in New Orleans. With 52 murders per 100,000 residents, the city was once again the so-called murder capital of America. That reality of New Orleans makes an organization like A Mother's Cry relevant and in many ways, necessary. How would you describe what A Mother's Cry does? Like, what, what, what do you want your organization to accomplish? Well, what we do is we do stop the violent marches. We do court appearance. You know, this Saturday, we're doing an all-white mother's dinner. That's something we do every year, you know, for the mothers. And every year in October, the first Saturday in October, we do Stop the Violence Family Day in the park, and I mean, that's starting to get big. And I appreciate that the people that support us, you know, and that's there for us, you know, showing us love and support, you know. Even though they never lost a child, you know, but, you know, they're there for us. With a lot of love and support, and I appreciate that. When you started A Mother's Cry, obviously you started it by yourself. Like, were you surprised at how many other mothers quickly became part of the group because we have this epidemic of murder? Yes, yes I was, you know. And, you know, I have a lot of mothers still reaching out to me, you know. Some of them call me on the phone, they just want to talk, and I just sit there and listen to them. You want to cry, cry. We might cry together. You know, I don't turn nobody away. Whether they want to join a group or a phone call or whatever, I'm there for them, you know. What do you think it says about this city or our society that you have to create a mother's cry? It, it's sad. It really said that I had to create 
an organization where mothers only meet on occasion when we're doing something for our loved one. And it's unfortunate that we have to meet this way. And it's very sad. We shouldn't have to meet this way. You know, we should have a celebration or something. You know, we should be a social and pleasure club out there, second line, you know, whatever. Not out there preparing for visuals and balloon release. We shouldn't have to do that. We did a lot of visuals and balloon release. It got to the point one time, we've done so many of them. And I've been to so many of them that it was taking a toll on me. It was taking, like my body just was shutting down. I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And when I go to these things, it's like I'm reliving my sun visual and balloon release all over again. Eight years after Walter's murder, there hasn't been any movement in the case. Sometimes Cheryl feels stuck herself. And it's been eight years, and it's still unbelievable that my child is gone. Sometimes I be in here, I get anxiety, panic attacks sometimes. I can't breathe. I, since day one, I want to scream to the top of my voice, but I can't get it out. I cry a lot. And my doctor always tell me, he said, Ms. Jackson, you're crying, but you're not crying. He said, you holding that real cry in. I want to scream to the top of my voice, but I just can't get it out. I look at his picture sometimes, boy, why? I said, come show mama who did this to you. I look at his picture. I talk to his picture. Come show mama who did this to you. Show me who did this to you. I want to know why. I would have took all 15 of them bullets for my son if I would have been there. I would, I would have sheared him and took the bullets for him, all 15 of them. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't protect it. As Mother's Day approaches, Cheryl won't be doing what most families will be doing. And after what she's had to endure, no one can blame her. On paper, Mother's Day is a time for kids and families to show appreciation to their mom. But Cheryl says it can work the other way as well. It can be a day for mothers to appreciate the loved ones who have made them mothers. I know they might get on your nerves sometimes, but that's all right. That's a part of life. That's a part of growing up. That's, that's our children. You know, we're going to be mama tell her, I don't care how old our children get. We're still going to be mama, you know, and that's still our children, you know. You're blessed to have your child. You're blessed to have your child. Because you don't know when your last hug going to be or your last kiss going to be. Or see that last smile again. The January the 3rd was the last smile I seen of my son. January the 3rd was, was the last time my son ate at my house. And that's why I can't even cook okra gumbo no more. Because that's the last thing my son ate from me. Love on your children. Cheryl believes the day will come when Walter's killer will be found. As she waits for that time, Mother's Day and every other day is the same. A day without her son. In Marrero, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio.